What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos currently ages 9 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Mike Ayala, and I'm so pumped for you to meet him and hear our conversation. A couple of key things that stuck out to me is being a yes parent, having your default answer not always be no, and then this idea as fathers when we can hide behind, I'm doing this for you. Enjoy meeting my friend, Mike. My friends, I'm so excited for you to meet Mike Ayala. Um, Mike, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. Thank you for being here. Man, I'm excited to be here. This is uh, something I've been looking forward to, so excited to do it. Yeah, and you know what? Right before I hit record, I asked Mike this question. Like, We both came in hot busy, full days, life going on. He's been on two podcasts today, had somebody on his podcast today, full schedule. And I said, Hey, why is this important for you to spend an hour to pause? And, and I will tell you, Mike, your whole like face changed because you stopped and you thought about, wait a second, right now we're about to talk about fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And you, you said, this is some of the most important work we'll ever do. It's true. And, you know, I, when I even think about the week that I've had, and I told you I've been going, going, but many of the conversations that I've had this week have been with like amazing humans Mm. that have crazy successful businesses that put their family first and being a father is their greatest thing. And it's crazy just kind of looking around because honestly, um, business is important and making money is important. But when When I look at these kind of, like I was literally with a guy on Monday that has like $4 billion of assets under management. And all he wants to talk about is, you know, his family and his values. And Mm -hmm. he's got like 400 employees and they just love him, Ned. And really at the end of the day, like it's easy to get caught up in business and money and building empires and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, man, on the other side of everything that we want to do that's good in life is a human life that's being impacted. And what more important lives are there to impact than number one, our spouses, but number two, our children. Mm. So how do you, in your busy, full life, how do you ensure that you don't get caught up and you are putting your spouse and your kids at the forefront of what's important? You know, I struggled with this in 2000. I went to a Franklin Covey symposium uh, with a leadership group that I was part of. And it was my first exposure to Franklin Covey, time management, what matters most. And I'll never forget them talking about in what matters most, like time blocking. It was my, I mean, I think at that point in time, I was probably 20 years old. So mm. my first real exposure to you know time blocking and time management, which is, it's important. And when we think about it from a business perspective, you know, we all talk about it, productivity and making sure that we're getting our big rocks in when it belongs there and everything else. But at that, at that Franklin Covey symposium in 2000, I remember hearing the guy that was speaking say, you know, you have to make sure that you block in time for the things that matter. And that could be vacations and your children and, you know, having a a 15 minute check-in with your kid or whatever. And I remember my first thought, Ned was like, really? Cause I wasn't that really busy then. I was just really starting my, and I was kind of working at like a, it wasn't a nine to five. It was more like a 5.00 AM to, to 5.00 PM. But also like when I was done, I was done. And so I didn't really think about time blocking from my kids. It was kind of like, you really have to like kind of block out time for your kids. But to answer your question, um, and I'm not perfect at this. I struggle with it just like anybody else. And, you know, you have ebbs and flows and seasons where you're busier, but I'll tell you what, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm done here recording, I've got one more 20 minute meeting and then I'm out. Um, It's date. And I'm actually like looking forward to winding down and going out on date night with Kara we go on a date every Thursday. If if it doesn't work Thursday, we're doing it someday that week. Um, and same thing with my kids. Like 
you know, evenings, weekends, like my kids are all adult children now, but um, you know, it's, it's like when I'm, when I'm here, I'm present, I'm with you. Yeah. When I'm on my team meetings, I'm, I'm, I try to be present. I'm with them, but then also that allows me to be present with my family when I'm with them. Okay. So I'll dig one deep, one, one layer deeper, and then I'll jump into my regular intro questions. So to be here, to be present, what is a tactile thing that you do or, or, or maybe mentally that helps you to pause and go, okay, I'm here now, or now I'm in the car with my wife and we're going to dinner or we're at dinner. I'm here now, or I'm in my team meeting. How do you be here now versus thinking about, you know, like whatever else might be in your mind, what you got to do next, what you got to do later. Is there anything you do or practice you've cultivated over time to be able to be present? You know, this is a, I I think partially this is a personality thing too. Mm. And I am definitely like, I'm a high D on the disc. I'm a visionary. Um, I probably have a strain of ADD, which I don't profess that often, but my brain is kind of like scattered anyway. So this is like one of the hardest things for me. And I think the most important part of it for me is realizing the the human element of the conversation. And this is going to sound crazy, but you know, pre-COVID, pre-Zoom, pre-all of that, like when I'm in a meeting, I'm pretty present. There's nothing that I hate more than being in a room of people and everybody's on their phones. And, you know, we're I had like some crazy rules where like, you know, shut your phone off. So it was pretty easy when you're, you know, in a in a meeting with your technicians or or your leadership team or whatever. Um, it got a little harder when it was, you know, running from meeting to meeting to meeting on Zoom. But as I've realized that like you and I can have an energetic exchange and we can mm. be here just like we can in a meeting, that's what's helped me connect is to just slow down and realize I'm with Ned, Ned's with me, try to get everything else off the screen because I do get easily distracted. Yeah. And honestly, this is kind of sad, but I love, I I love the question, but also like the easiest thing to do. And I, Karen, my wife and I have had this conversation. Her name's Kara. So many times, um, it's really easy when we're just together all the time as a family to not be present. And so, mm-hmm. have, and I think it's okay. Like some of the things that we've said is like if we're gonna, we always have dinner together, and when we're at dinner, we're present. But that doesn't mean that just because we're all in the living room and everything else that we have to be, you know, off of our phones and everything else. But I think it's just being intentional about when we're there and, and, and trying to set those. I mean, the minute that your meeting starts, you even said this to me, do you need a minute? I'm like, no, do you need a minute? And we're kind of like both, maybe we did need a minute. So it's just checking in. And I think it's the same thing. It's really, Mm -hmm. it's your family. And it's those tight relationships to just kind of let it fly and not ask that question. Do you need a minute? Yeah, that's good. Or, Hey, can we, can we be present? And maybe it's just asking that permission too. Yeah, I think that's good instead of assuming, cause I, I, man, that's great. Cause sometimes I'll get frustrated because I'll come in and I'll assume that I'm about to make a connection with my wife, but I'm not thinking that she's wrapping something up on her phone. So then it throws me into like a little frustration in the moment to be like, Hey, I thought we were connecting right now. And so then I I'm like basically throw a stone versus just, Hey, Hey, you need a minute, wrap that up. And then we can both come in with shutting down whatever it is that we needed to shut down so that we could be ready. But I think I kind of jacked that up sometimes, probably even with my kids too. Um, because just because I'm ready, <laughs> this ain't Ned's world. Although sometimes I could probably act like that. Yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of it's seasonal too. Cause you know, I I've, I've probably been the one that's been more distracted in the relationship with my wife over the years, but she's in a really, she's in a really busy season right now. Mm-hmm. Her whole life goal, Ned literally, and she'll profess this and say it was to be the best mom in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know most of the moms out there and husbands would argue with me that when I say this, but I think she accomplished it. But now, now that our kids are older, you know, literally she wanted to be a stay at home mom. And now that our kids are older, our youngest is 18. Um, she's kind of reinventing herself and finding her way. She's really busy. And, and I'm, I'm like having to number one, see, you know, the roles switched and be mm-hmm. paid her and, and give her grace. Like literally the other day we were on a, uh, a trip, just her and I, and, and she's like texting and she's like, I, I just need a few more minutes. 
And I'm like, I'm, I'm not judging that, like, <laughs> but she was cognizant and aware of it. Right. Yeah. And so, man, I think it's just being connected and, and communicating. And I'll say one more thing and then I'll turn it over to you. Somebody said to me a while back, like even with young children, maybe this was you, I don't know. Um, so somebody said to me, um, you know, even when you're going into busy seasons as a father, we're going to have those seasons. Mm-hmm. It's just communicating that if you know that you're like got a project going at work, that's going to be like a, a one month project. And you're about to have your rear handed to you for, you know, 30 days, like kids don't care. And they're a lot more intelligent and understanding than yeah, what we agree rather than you just not being present, like just sit little Jimmy down and say, Hey, you know what? You know that I'm your number one fan. You know that I want to be in your corner. I need a little bit of grace from you for the next 30 days. Cause daddy has this project going on and I'm not going to be as present as I want to be. And here's the reasons why. And they'll understand that what they don't understand is when you're just missing from their life. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Communicate with your kids. I think sometimes we don't give our kids enough credit that they can, they can have a conversation. They do understand. Uh, all right. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions right, right now. Help people understand who I'm talking to. How old do you find yourself today? Oh my gosh. Um, 39. Yeah. I'm actually physically you're 39. Yeah. Um, mentally, physically, physically is another conversation. So I'm, I'm 44 actually just recently, a couple of weeks ago, last week. Um, I've been working on my health journey. Um, mm. actually even just inside tracker, I did this thing with GoBundance and you know, there's this thing that gives you my biological or, or my actual, my chronological age is 44. It was 43 then, but my biological age was saying I was 49 and this ah. is a health perspective. And so, um, you know, th- it's such a great question because I would actually say that I feel younger than I am, but the reality is like, that's my mind feeling and, and my body feels good too, but actually I'm really working on the health component. So I would say, but you know, mentally my mind, like my energy, I think 39. Love it. Okay. How many years you've been married? 23. 23. And how many kiddos do you guys have? Three kids, 22, 20, and 18. Ah, and then what do you do for a living primarily to provide for the family? Uh, business <laughs> and investing. <laughs> that's a, that's a hard one. I still make a lot of money on, you know, passive investments and things we've done from the past, but, um, I actively, um, primarily run several businesses, a real estate fund and, and a business fund. Love it. When you think back, you're at this interesting stage, which I'm going to ask you a question about in a minute. But when you think back to your kids being young to, you know, elementary, middle, high school, when did you find that you embraced fatherhood that you thought this really matters a lot? Do you remember a season that that became uh, apparent to you? I wanted to, I wanted to check in with that and make sure that I wasn't, you know, stretching. Cause I, there's, there's, so our oldest son, Dylan, um, he was born when I was 21. We got, I, I got married in May when I was 20 and he was born one year later, almost to the day. Um, and he had a lot of health issues, mm. uh, that they found in the womb. And, um, so we were driving, you know, I'm, I'm a plumber, I'm making 18 bucks an hour. And I'm having to take time off and drive over to Salt Lake, which is a three hour drive and, and meet with specialists. And they didn't know exactly what was going on. And he had to be born at primary children's medical center. And here's the thing, Ned, he had a growth in his chest and they didn't know exactly what it was. Um, and the doctor found it at 12 weeks in the womb at the first ultrasound. I'm like, how miraculous are yeah. our doctors? And, but anyway, Um, they didn't know exactly what it was and they didn't know because of where it was located when he took his first breath, if his lungs were going to be able to expand fully. Mm. And so they, they said, listen, if you go into labor in the little town you live in, you're getting life flighted. So we have to, so when he's born, Ned, I'm surrounded at, I mean, I'm at, uh, well, actually we're at the university of Utah, but they have a team from primary children's medical center that was there as well. There's probably 20 people in the room when he's born. There's like crash teams. And here's the thing. The doctor had prepped us where what they were concerned about is his lungs not inflating, right? When I heard that little kid scream, you know what that means? His lungs are inflating. (sighs) And, uh, 
you know, but that didn't, it, it was chaos. Like they yeah. grabbed him. They took him to primary. I went with him and man, a couple things on that conversation. I still get almost, you know, I still choke up a little bit, but as young parents and realizing number one, you know, having your first child is a miracle anyway, but having those, you know, almost seven months of not knowing what is this, um, and then hearing him scream and then realizing that everything was going to be okay. He ended up having surgery at two months. And, and I remember at the two month point, handing that baby over to the surgeons and realizing that, you know, as much as even at that age, like I think, or thought I could control my circumstances and, you know, come into everything with a positive mindset and, and control my destiny. And, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the king of my outcome. No, I handed this, hmm. kid, I handed this kid over to the surgeons and I'm like, there's nothing I could do, Ned, like absolutely nothing, but cry and pray and hope for the best. And there, you know, in the old Testament, they, there's when, when Miriam put Moses in the river mm-hmm. because, because the Pharaoh was going to kill all the firstborn and she let him go. There was literally a couple that was talking to us at the hospital that that's what it reminded them of. And, and having that understanding, because it was a great story, Miriam put Moses in the river and blah, blah, blah. But when, when you put your kid in the river and, and you're just, you know, turn, there's nothing you can do. That was like, that was the first time probably that I realized that fatherhood is, is so important. Mm-hmm. And yet also like <laughs> you're, you're, you it's, it's very important. Our role is super miraculous, but also at the same time, there's a point where, um, there's nothing you can do for them either. And, and so it was probably that moment. Wow. Wow, man. Incredible stories. Both of them. Thank you for sharing them. And, uh, in both moments, you know, what I kind of saw was, was you at 21 and, and, Shame on us to some extent. Maybe it's just me, but you know, sometimes I look at a 21-year-old now and I don't give them the credit because I got married. I got married. I turned 21 and six days later I got married. And then a year later we had our first daughter. So close, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. we figured it out. We handled it. In a lot of ways, it was really the best thing that ever could have happened to me because it taught me how to be a man and how to grow up and how to provide. And I mean, look at where you're at today. Incredible. But I just think, look at you as a 21-year-old man and the joy, the excitement, the 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 surrendering when you hear this, this boy scream, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you're in a room full of 20 professionals and you're, you know, you're said you're plumbing at the time. And, and uh, I, I just, I love that imagery. I love that story. And it just really helps me think how important the role of a father is. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, just like we were talking about being present is like a lot of your role and my role as dads is to be there, mm-hmm. just to be there, like yeah. actually there. Um, and then that moment with, with with handing your son over at two months old, I mean, you just think of holding a two-month-old baby. And um, again, that moment for you to go, this matters, but in kind of a different way than I would have thought you would have shared a story, right? It's this surrendering of this matters a whole lot, but then I'm also limited mm-hmm. in 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 what I can do. So there's a lot of faith in your role. Yeah. Well, and you know, like even when you hand that little baby boy over to that surgeon um, and you've got no, no outcome, no control there, it's in the surgeon's hands, it's in God's hands. And it's in that little baby boy's hands. Like it's his will to survive. Mm. It's the fight. And you know, the thing that I'll say, and I won't make this a long drawn out thing, but I, I grew up with a dad that wasn't present. He was a drunk. He was an alcoholic. He was abusive. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that, but guess Mm -hmm. what? I forgive him. I don't harbor bitterness. Um, I became a better father because of that. I became a better husband because of that. And so just even like what I shared with, you know, my little son, it was his will to survive. It wasn't my will, you know, as a father to help him survive. There was nothing I could do for him, but love him. But also if you think about it, my dad, my dad didn't do anything for me to survive. It was my will to survive. And so I'm not saying that our role as fathers isn't extremely important. It is. But at the same time too, um, if if we don't put that will and surround them and just realize that, I think sometimes we we think that our influence is is more, I'm not saying it's not important, 
but but that little boy it was his responsibility to survive and it was my responsibility to survive too and so yes our role as a father is extremely important but also like teaching them to survive is is a big part of that role as well dude i think that that is a really profound thing to say cuz as you're saying i'm thinking through it you're not you're not god for this kid right your role a lot as a father is to affirm their identity right and so even in that moment you're affirming like you're a fighter you have the will to do this you can do this it's you know so so i feel like that's a a really significant moment to understand the connection you have and then also the release of of like power in a sense Right. And, and, and to encourage your son, even at two months. And, and obviously you took that into him, him growing up, but the, the words you're using like responsibility and the will to live and the will to fight. Um, I think we're, our role is to really affirm who our children are as human beings. Yeah. And not to yeah. do it for them. No. Right. Yeah. Mm. And, okay. and mind that greatness out of them. Right. Like, yes, yes. My, so say that to me again, mine, that greatness out of them. What does that look like? Well, I think it's just really, um, and I just even filling out your form today was so thought provoking, but, um, I think a lot of times we try to project not only in our children, by the way, it could be on our employees. It could be on the people we coach. Um, we try to project, you know, what we see for them. And, you know, a part of that is true with our children. We can see the greatness in them. But the reality is it's our job to mine it out of them, mm. not, not project on them what we mm-hmm. think. So I think it's, you know, Kara, Kara has said this for years, like these little, these little souls are on loan to us. Yes. Um, and whatever that means to you as you're listening, like these little souls are not, you know, they're not our slaves. They're not our, they're on loan to us and we're just here to guide them and, and, and try to mine that greatness out of them. And so, you know, Karen, I've always kind of leaned into, we've always tried to be like, yes, parents in that when they want to try something or explore something, the answer is yes. How can I, how can I support you in that versus me trying to navigate and, and drive you or, or steer you to where I think you should go. Yeah. And shoot, man, that is, that is a hard one for parents to let go of. And even me, I mean, all of us, it's like, ah, I feel like I can see what's best for you. But if we don't let them experience a lot of that themselves, then they're never going to lead their own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, critical, critical. Oh, so good. All right. Here's, here's my next question. Thinking about the different stages of being a dad. Uh, and really, I mean, for your whole adulthood, you were married with kids, right? Uh What's something you discovered about yourself, right? Like you're a man on a journey, you know, you're saying at, at 20 or in year 2000, you're out of Stephen Covey professional development, right? And I know that you have pursued developing yourself last 20 years. When you think about fatherhood in particular, what have you discovered about yourself through your role as a father? You know, I really, this this is going to sound crazy, but I really just love people. Mm. Um, I love these little humans that are in my world. Um, well, they're not little humans anymore. Um, they're big humans now. Um, but it hasn't really been, and by the way, I'm not saying that we've done this perfect. We made a lot of mistakes and I could go into any number of those that you guys want to. Um, but along the way, like, you know, we always, we always treated our kids like the humans that they are. We didn't, you know, we didn't treat them like little babies. And I think that was part of it too. Like we always brought them into our world. It was our world. And, and that's kind of how I treat everybody. Like I don't, I, we're all just humans. And on the other side of anything we need, you know, people are always asking like, what, I think this is the eternal question. Like what's the purpose of life? It's, mm-hmm. it's to meet and interact with more humans. It's to build deep relationships. And so the thing that I really realized with fatherhood is that, man, I just love humans. And I, I look even to this day, um, my kids love being at our house. Like, um, they're, they're here a lot, even though, um, you know, some of them have their own house and everything else. And I don't know, there's nowhere I'd rather be than with the people that I love and, and, 
And so I don't know, that's what really has, it's taught me more than anything is I just love being with humans and, and it's not that difficult to want to be with these kids. They're amazing. Mm. Man, what a good answer. You love being with people and you've made it a priority that these people are important for you to be with. Okay. So there's a, there's a question for you in that, you know, a lot of times we want to get caught up in, uh, I got to spend time with my friends or I got to spend time doing the things that I want to do with these people. And I think we can miss the opportunity to have a deep connection with our kids um, because we're pursuing this, like, I need me time outside of this. How did you, you know, through middle school, high school, and now they're young adults, have you cultivated a relationship with them so that, you know, you can only spend so much time with so many people, but that you have a deep connection with them beyond just being their dad? Or I should say not being their dad, parenting them, right? There's a little bit of a difference between I'm parenting you right now. Because there's times with my son, right? Because I have one son and four daughters. And and my relationship with him is different. But there'll be times where it's just him and I. And I'll have to tell him after two or three days when we're home now. It's like, hey, our role shifting now that we're home. I'm your dad right now, parenting. And we're not like homies camping or out surfing where we might act a little bit different. So in, in thinking about that, how have you cultivated that relationship with them as they went through middle school, high school, and now into the young adult? Yes, yeah, an interesting question. Um, and, and it comes back to communication too, because, well, number one, Kara, I, I, I could be out every night like with people because I just, again, love yeah, people. Yeah. People bring me energy. Kara, Kara has taught me like, and I'll get to the children's side of it in a second, but Kara has taught me, like, I don't do anything, Ned, without um, checking in with Kara first. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's between nine and five or whatever my work hours are, and I want to go have lunch with somebody, I'm not checking in with Kara. But, you know, if I'm going to go to a dinner with someone or, you know, I've got a buddy in town right now and the F1 race is happening. I'm like, hey, what are we doing this weekend? I don't, I don't, even, I don't even ask Kara, hey, can I go to F1 this weekend? I lead with, Hey, what's the plans this weekend? Mm -hmm. And it's the same with my children and anything else, because, um, you know, and I, I think we've made so much time for them that really when, when I go out with the guys or I'm out of town on a guy's weekend or whatever, they don't feel, I think it goes back to that communication piece too. They don't feel like I'm taking away from them because when I'm here, I'm here. And most of the time I'm here, even as busy as I am, most of the time I'm here. Yeah. So that cultivating that relationship is more about present time consistently than it is about doing, doing something um, like a checklist item. It's, it's that you are present and put them before other things essentially. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting as we're talking about this too, most of the time we have to force our kids to be present with us. Mm. Um, You know, it's like, Hey, put this away. Hey, we're going to do this tonight. Hey, we're doing one of my friends always called it FFF forced family fun. We loved it. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I love the term forced, but, um, he, he passed away, but he was such a great family, Mm -hmm. man. That was like his thing, forced family fun. And so when we really think about it, it's like most of the time we're like forcing our kids to be present anyway, because as much as we don't want to admit it, they'd rather be in their room. They'd rather be playing with their friends. They'd rather. So yeah. I actually think it's just making sure that we're we're creating that environment and actually inviting them into it rather than again that's why I didn't like the forced family fun um creating an environment where where we bring them in and maybe they don't even know that we're forcing the family fun but then also you know when mom and dad are going out for a date night or going out with friends or a babysitters coming over maybe they don't care as much Mhm mhm Yeah, I dig it. Dig it. Um I'm finding that, you know, my kids, my, my kids are getting older. And so we're having to be way more intentional about the time. Uh, one, because it's slipping. And then two, because there are so many things drawing um, us in different directions, especially them, you know, they got jobs, they got car, they got things happening. So we're in that transition right now. Um, okay. So question for you, youngest is 18, oldest is 22. If you could go back to when they were 8 and 11, 12-ish, okay? So let's go back like 10 years ago. I think a lot of guys listening to this are in that stage where they've got that kind of elementary to going into middle school age. 
What's something that you would tell yourself to either encourage yourself to continue or to encourage yourself to step into more often? Is there anything that you could think back to that stage of life that you would go back and tell tell Mike 10 years ago? I think the first thing that I'll say is encourage us to continue. Um, and this kind of goes back to the last conversation too, but I, and, and Kara pointed this story out a long time ago, long before I acknowledged or recognized what was happening. But, um, you know, we're, a, we bring some of our preconceived ideas and, and philosophies and parenting ways and all of that into the relationships, both of us do. And one Saturday, um, when my daughter was probably around the age that you're talking, she was probably eight. Um, she had a friend over Friday night. They had a sleepover. And then the next day, Saturday, Caitlin comes and she says, mom, can Callie stay the night again? And Kara says, no. And Caitlin uh, says, why not? And Kara says, because you already had one sleepover. You only you only get one one a week or whatever. Kara and I never really argued in front of the kids. That's one thing that we were always really good about. Caitlin walks away and I've said, are we doing something tonight? And Kara's like, no. And I'm like, well, why, why can't you have a sleepover? I'm like, if we're going to, you know, not let her have friends over, then we probably should make sure we're doing something together. So they're just not, you know, sitting in their room. And Kara's like, well, she already had one sleepover this week. And I'm like, what does that matter? And so Kara and I've had this conversation so many times. And I think this is why it's so important that we grab wisdom from our significant other and even our children too, and have these conversations because she was raised that way. She could only have one sleepover a week. Mm. And I'm kind of like, if we're not going to allow our kids to do things, then we should probably make sure that there's a really good reason for it. And so we developed this philosophy of being a yes parent. Mm. I believe God is a yes God and we live in a yes universe. I mean, you'll hear this from Tony Robbins, right? Like, yes, like, yes. Well, we became yes parents. Every opportunity that we had to say yes, we did. Because a couple of reasons. Number one, again, you know, allowing them to explore. And it really caused us to stop and think. Because I think a lot of times our default answer is no. Mm-hmm. No. And then I think we raise children that have default answers of no. Why, you know, I can't have that or or my automatic, you know, I couldn't do this or I couldn't accomplish that. These are all no philosophies. And obviously this didn't hit us between the eyes all at one moment. But when Kara said that, we started having this conversation and we became yes parents. So we say yes as often as we can. And here's the other side of that conversation, Ned. When we tell our kids no, there was no arguments about it. Mm. Our kids didn't argue with us. Our our the Bible even says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, what does that mean? Well, <laughs> when it's yes, it's yes. And when it's no, it's no. But our kids knew you know, when we were no, we were serious about it. It wasn't just a flippant no. It wasn't because I'm in a bad, it wasn't because of whatever. It was yes. That's really good because I think a lot of arguments happen with our kids because we, our initial response to something is no. Just you ask me a question, I say no. And then they explain it to me and I go, oh, well, there wasn't really a reason for me to say no. And we aren't doing anything tonight or whatever. So, okay, yes, it can happen. So then everything becomes an argument right? My initial response is always no. Their initial response is always to argue and then just hammer at me until I cave because they know that, I, that I'll that i cave. So I think a lot of parents struggle with that. So I think that's great is before you respond yes or no, can it be a yes? You know, like instead of just let me think about this, but can it be a yes? How do we make this a yes? And I love you followed that up with allow them to explore right? This isn't just to be the cool parent. That's not why you're saying this. You want your kid to have a ton of experiences, life experiences, so that they, I mean, that's like what we're talking about, being present, being connected. And that happens through through yeses of experiencing life, right? Yeah. You know, and I think I, I talked to so many adults. I was on a conversation this morning with a guy who is scared to make decisions. He's got fear of failure. He doesn't want to move forward because he doesn't know if it's going to work out and what if it doesn't work out and what if I think I I think that we if we're not careful you know we're so programmed um to like prepare our kids to to get to a point where when they do something they have to do it forever and and I don't know I I think 
allowing them the yes and the ability to explore and experiment lets them know that, hey, yeah, you can go try that. And if you don't love it, then we'll figure out how to do something different or something completely different. And I think we've been pretty good about that with our kids. And I think that's also allowed them to make some decisions and venture in. I even told my middle son, he was like, I, I kind of want to go into this certain industry. And we're, I'm like, well, we'll, we'll pay for you to go to a certain type of school. And he's like, well, what if I don't love it? And what if I don't want to do it forever? And I'm like, you know how many times I've changed careers? Like, <laughs> so I don't know. It's just given some of that grace and freedom. And I think, I think the more that we're okay with letting them be yes and experiment through it, the more confident they're going to be later in life in trying different things. Mm. Okay. So I have a question for you on this because I think that I love what you're saying. And I think it's really important. I think COVID has taught us this a lot too. Like where I live and what I do isn't necessarily this 40 year experience anymore. So when you hear the word stability, I think a lot of times we tie that to a job or to where we live. What would you describe stability as? Because you seem like a very stable family, right? Although you've changed careers and probably done a lot of different things the last 20 years um, since you had your first kid at 21. So how would you untie those two or describe those two like stability? What is stability to you? Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, even as, as you're asking that question, I think most people, uh, and you know, I had you on my podcast investing for freedom, which is all about, you know, financial freedom, if you will, but that's not really what it's about because stability to me, you know, even in the financial realm, stability to you might be 40,000 a year and stability to me might be 4,000 a year or 4 million a year or whatever. I think a lot of times we think of stability in the in the traditional sense, which might be why you're asking this question. Um, when most people think of stability, they're thinking of a safe, secure job. They're thinking of a set income. You know what? That's scary to me. Mm. That's the least stable thing for me in life is like, I heard Robert Kiyosaki say this one time, the most scary thing in the world to him is waking up on January 1st and knowing exactly what he's going to have made by December 31st. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And so like stability is such an, inter when I think of stability, I, I went to all the negatives. Like to me, that's not stability. To me, stability is like having the people around me that love me, mental and emotional stability, knowing what my support system looks like, knowing, you know, that I'm safe at home, knowing that honestly, like, um, this is going to sound crazy, but my wife and I, like even when we moved to Austin last year, it was like, we had no idea we were moving to Austin. And three months later, we're living in Austin. Like some people would freak out about that because that's not stable. But for me, stability is being able to go wherever I want, whenever that gives me emotional stability, that gives me peace. Um, I, I'm not a creature of habit and I don't want to stay in the same location for 40 years. And so mm. I might not be the right person to ask about traditional stability, but what most people are looking at or thinking about when they say stable is not what I would think about. Um, that would drive me mad. What keeps me stable is would probably make most people insane. Yeah, but I think we've we've uh, kind of swallowed a lie probably about what stability is, and I think COVID taught us that. You know, when that hit, a lot of people just freaked out because it wasn't this kind of like I don't want to say fake world. That's a little dramatic. But this like every day is going to be the same. And we've kind of expected that. Whereas if you are maybe more entrepreneur mindset or you've pursued freedom through entrepreneurship or um, not being connected to like one job forever, it's a different type of stability um, where I don't want to say you're in more control. It's almost like it's not about control, although I think you and I would say we like the idea of being in control to somewhat of our destiny. But it's a, it's about letting go of one thing providing the freedom for us, mm -hmm. right? It's more freedom to me is stability. If I have the freedom to wake up and pursue the family, the life that I want, that's that's more stable. I'm not relying on a certain thing to provide that for me. You know, Kara said something to me one time when, um, so I had a gold mine go bankrupt on me in 2007 and plus the world is crashing and you know, my business is in turmoil and I go from a hundred employees and had to lay off 30 at Christmas time. And Ned, I was like, mm. this is just show you. I'm, I was not present. I was not my normal self care. I came home one day and I'm working seven days a week trying to save my business. And Kara's like, you're not the same. You're short with the kids. 
Um, you're not yourself. Like you need to stop this. And I looked at her and I said, what do you want me to do? Like I could literally lose everything. We could lose our house. And I did this thing. Right. And she said, she said, what are they going to do? Take our children. Mm. And so back to what you're saying with stability, that was like a moment. What we think is stability is the ability to, you know, keep my employees employed and my business isn't plummeting. And that was stability. The moment that she like grabbed me and shook me, See, I think I'm over here fighting for stability. I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm like stressed out. I'm like wearing myself out. I'm like, I'm trying to save my stability. And she grabbed me and she shook me. And to me, that's stability. Her looking at me and saying, what are they going to do? Take our kids? That's beautiful. What really matters at the end yeah. of the day? We have each other. Like we could lose all of this and she doesn't care. And I'm sitting over here. And by the way, this is a dad thing that, you know, we could hide behind this all the day, all the time as fathers and husbands. I'm doing it for you. Right, like, right, right. I'm over, here, I'm over here trying to save my business for you. And so we don't lose this house and we don't lose everything I've built. And in reality, my stability, my rock, my woman, she says, she shakes me and she's like, what difference does it make? Yeah. That's yeah. stability. Like, yes. I love it. Ah, so good. So good. Um, hmm. Okay. I'm going to, so many places I want to go, but I want to, I want to honor our time together. So I'm going to ask you this question. All right. Fatherhood field notes. I mean, I've just been asking you questions and you've opened up your life. Great stories, great connection to who you are and, and, and what the last 20 years of being a dad has been like. The mantra behind this is rebel and create. And the idea is what's something that you're rebelling against as a man, as a warrior, as a husband, as a father, you're rebelling against something, but not just to be destructive, but to create room, well, to make room, to create something. So what's something that you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? <laughs> I was trying to think what I told you earlier because I'm like, but it doesn't even matter. I'm going to, I don't know what I told you earlier. Um, what am I rebelling against? You know, this is probably not a traditional answer, but I'll tell you what I've had to really fight. And this is an internal rebellion. Hmm. Um, and I'm just going to share this because I've had to rebel against internal thoughts that I'm having and have been having. And I probably shared this with you. And this all started, the whole reason I joined front row dads was because I was going through this experience and I shared with Mike McCarthy and I shared with multiple people, everything I've worked for my entire identity, the last 25 years. And I'll say that because even when we were dating in high school and I was going through processing, like who my dad wasn't and and trying to, you know, the version I wanted to be, the type of husband I want to be, the type of father I want to be, the the life that we've built, you know, even with the businesses and freedom and, you know, everything was about my kids. Like our kids have seen the world. And now all of a sudden, like, and I literally looked Mike McCarthy in the eyes and I'm like, I, I feel like I'm not a dad anymore. Mm. And I was really struggling with that, Ned. Like, um, and Mike looked at me and he said, bro, like, you're probably going into the season where they might need you more than they've ever needed yeah. you. And wow. and so the thing that I'm still, and this is a process, man. Um, not only do I, you know, the empty nester syndrome, which everybody says that, but like, what is that? It's such an emotional roller coaster. And so, you know, joining front row dads and, and John Vroman said this, like, you know, he's like still at this point in time, like his dad is in his life. And I've had so many, amazing conversations with fathers. So I'm rebelling against the fact that like, you know, fatherhood is a, is an 18 year Mm. thing. Um, because that's what almost put me into, that was everything that I like, that's everything that Karen, I worked for the last like 20 years. Yeah. And, and I almost like, I almost like could have shut down. And what I realized is that like, you know, my, my oldest son is in a serious relationship. There's grandkids on the horizon in the next, I don't know, between two and 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, all and so I'm rebelling against my own internal um, things that I've really had to fight for. And I love being in communities like this and having guys like you in my world, because um, it's our own preconceived ideas that we need to rebel against sometimes yeah. that were good ideas. Everything that I've done for the last 20 years was a good thing. It was a good season, but that version of me has died. Mm. It's a new father being resurrected. So I'm rebelling against the fact that like 
you know, we, we can let old versions of ourselves die. We don't have to hold on to old identities. And, and the next 20 years as a father are just as important as the first one. Mm. So good. So good. And I think if you're a dad that has, you know, that eight to 12 year old thinking further than just when they turn 18 or 19 or 20, whenever they move out, but like, this is a long game. Like think about your role when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, not only to your kid, but your grandkid, maybe even a great grandkid one day. And I love that perspective, Mike, because this is not an 18 year game. And for what Mike McCarthy said to you as well, it's like your kids may need you more now than ever. And to be that consistent, stable, I'm here, I'm present guy for them. Even if it's not, you know, every night with homework, it's every couple months, there's something that you are there for. What an honor that you're the guy, right? Because of the relationship you've cultivated. Yeah. Which really, you know, it, might also, go ahead. it might also be some pressure off of us. Mm. Oh, because yeah. We think yeah. we've got 18 years to get this perfect. And the reality is, this should be a lifelong venture. So mm, I love that. Oh man, man, thank you so much. This has been so good. Uh, I can't believe that we're almost at the the end here. Before I ask my final question, anything we didn't touch on, anything I didn't ask, any story that kind of maybe floated through your head during our conversation that you want to share uh, before I ask my final question? We talked about a lot of good stuff. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Things we could bring up, but yeah, I'm good. Yeah. All right. So my last question, it's a legacy question. So I want to ask that I've been asking this a little bit different lately. I have been asking, you know, say 20 years from now, imagine peering into the homes of your kids and what do you see? What's the legacy you see? But you've kind of hit this stage where you're seeing your kids become adults. You're seeing, you know, one son's in a serious relationship. I want you to fast forward a hundred years from now. So a hundred years from now, when you peer into your grandkids' homes, what is it that you would see, right? This, this is just a bit beyond what you can see today. So it's a bit beyond, we're talking about your grandkids, their homes. What do you see being played out in their home? And if you were to watch it, you'd go, oh, yes, my work, my work helped to, to make that possible. You know, I was with um, Tim Tebow at a, a meeting probably a month ago, and he shifted something in my thinking. And he said, you know, a lot of times what we think about is inheritance. Like, you know, what do we leave? And I love the question that you're asking because it shifted for me when we think about when we think about that question, the way that you even posed it. When I peer into their house, I see other couples. I see other, you know, children being impacted. Kara was just saying this the other day. Um, we've always, we've always taken trips with our kids where they brought friends with them too, because number one, maybe we get to be an influence, not only on our kids, but on the, their, their friends as well. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, maybe those kids get to see a part of the world that they never would have gotten to see, or maybe they get to sit at a dinner table and hear conversations that they've never heard before. Um, and you know, if we can just influence one, one of their friends over life. And so when I, when I peer into the living room, it's kind of the same thing. You know, I hope to see families that have friends there and, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're doing their own versions of masterminds or dinner meetings, um, or maybe they have, you know, a bunch of kids over at their house. It's really not that much different than, than what we've seen, because I think that's what really impacts generations. Hmm. Beautiful. I love that. I love your perspective and and you and your wife uh, collectively, you know, wanting to just reach a little bit more to give your kids opportunity to bring friends over and and that idea of not doing life so isolated. Um, and I think sometimes I can get caught up in, Hey, it's our family night, you know, but missing out like last night we had, um, one of my daughters had her friend over and we're having dinner together and she's getting to hear the conversation. Uh, and then we ended up doing like a family devotion together. And she got to sit in there and hear the way that we kind of like, just open dialogue between us. And, and that moment could be missed if it was a no, it's a school night, right? Mm. No, your friend can't stay over. No, your friend can't come over. Um, so hearing you share that really wants, because I'm the, I could be the no guy sometimes to situations like that. Cause I, cause I see Brooklyn, you're 16. I got two years until you're gone. You know, I made a joke last night. I was like, where are we all going trick or treating? And Sarah just flat, my wife, Sarah flat out told me, Ned, that ship sailed. 
bro, that's gone. That season of your life is gone. It's over with. Um, except with my nine-year-old, so I'm gonna take her. But <laughs> but uh anyways, uh Mike, thank you so much for for the man you are, the the commitment you have to not be stagnant. Right. And that's what mm-hmm. I hear from you, right? You're like, I'm 44, but I'm pursuing my health and I'm 39 mentally. And I got a great relationship with my 22 year old. And you're not stagnant. And what an encouragement, because I know without a doubt, when I talk to you at 70 years old, it's going to be the same. I'm going to say, how old do you feel? You're probably going to say 37 or 35, right? And and you're not going to be stagnant. And what an encouragement for, for all men fathers around to not accept the status quo right to go all out pursue life and 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 in that oh gosh and in that you're not too too busy or too good or too anything for anybody else you're still pausing to have this conversation right you're still engaging with people you're not going so fast that you're missing today and uh man i see that in you and it's such an encouragement to to me so keep keep being that man and um i look forward to just continuing to get to know you and watch you uh live your life my friend Thank you, man. I I really feel that and appreciate it. And that means a ton to me. Mm. All right, my friend. Until next time. Thank you. Man, I just love talking fatherhood. What another incredible conversation. Thank you to Mike for being on and sharing his life with us. Really stuck out to me and I've already been applying it is, is the idea of my first default answer being no. Happened last night. My son called and said, can some friends stay the night? And my initial answer was no. And then I thought about it. And then we talked about it and had a conversation with my son. Why is my default answer many times no? Is it just because there's a lot on my plate? And then does that make that fair for the kiddo? So being in tune with why am I saying yes? Why am I saying no? So already applying it. Great stuff. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. Hey, if you haven't already checked out the new children's book that we will have coming out early 2023 called The Adventure of Fatherhood, go check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. You could pre-order it. Thank you to everybody who helped fund it on Kickstarter to make it possible. So exciting. All right, my friends, I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Thank you.